Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you on a journey into the crucible for a weekly or fortnightly celebration of all things Keyforge, its community, and the excitement of Discovery. I am somehow perplexingly your co-host, Zach Armstrong, along with, as always, Ed Pocock. How are you, Ed? Hi, Zach. I'm, I'm doing well. I hear that people are actually playing Keyforge physically with other people in some parts of the world. This is a real innovation, right? Uh, yes, yes. In, in, yes, an innovation over, over, uh, <laughs> perhaps doing it, doing it online as, as we have been relegated to. Thank you to our, our savior, uh, the Crucible Online and all of it caretakers with proper, with proper both community health and, and masking and whatever else. Stay safe. But if you're able to play in person then uh, send me a picture <laughs> well i think the latest rules in the uk for it are you're allowed to play keyforge but only if the wind is blowing in a northeasterly direction and only if you play a deck with an odd number of words in its title uh yeah i think you can uh, also neither player can be named gregory from what i've heard no no yeah no oh, I mean, why, why would you be named gregory that's um, a silly thing really but i figured i'd put it out there you can also make up the rules, but only if you do a, bit, a really bad impression of our prime minister at the same time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, and uh, today we are joined again by Stuart, who has who has come back to talk about a deck uh, that is unique and wonderful to him. Thank you for so much for coming back, Stuart. Thank you for inviting me. It's, uh, it was an absolute pleasure to be on before, and I hope it continues to be a pleasure this time. Yeah, Stuart, you've joined the club of the guests that didn't run away after the first episode, which is a very, I like to think, elite group of people. Yes, well, uh, so far, all of them, too. Just to clarify, we have uh, successfully, successfully feel, pulled that off. It feels very special, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, anyone that didn't come back was pushed off after the first episode. <laughs> oh, no. Now, but see, Ed, now people are going to look back and see, okay, who's only on for one episode? That's, uh, yeah, I know, hmm. right. <laughs> oh no Lottie, and, and, we loved you uh, you were great don't worry that's not on you. <laughs> oh goodness and this is quite some deck Stuart. blimey yeah thank you uh <laughs> yeah and introduce us to this deck what is its name and uh how did you come about this deck okay so this deck is called the simple prodigal of scroll hill hmm uh, and I have to give thanks to Sass for discovering this deck. Um, <laughs> I'm not one of those people that subscribes to Sass um, passionately or you know blindly. I, I 
think SAS is a wonderful tool. It has some fantastic information about decks that would be very difficult to ascertain just by looking at the back of a deck or you know even physically going through every card of a deck. Um, and I've got decks on uh, decks of Keyforge, which is the SAS uh, website, um, that tell me they're fantastic, but for whatever reason, I can't find them working that way which you know could be me could be sass sure it's it's an art rather than a science um but sass did tell me that this was my best deck by (laughs) sass rating and i gave it a go and for once sass and i were in complete agreement um about how good this deck is so that's that's why i picked this deck for today it's a deck i've used in numerous tournaments online um and I have what I would describe as a large collection of Keyforge. So trying to find physical decks can sometimes be a bit difficult. Mm. And a lot of the tournaments I play in, there's a trust that you're not net decking. and I, I don't net deck. Um, but I also don't always have physical access to the deck. I know it's around somewhere, but where it is, is uh, like looking for a needle in a haystack for the needles. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I, I, I played in a tournament recently where we had to prove we owned the deck. And so I had to track it down, having played it in a few successful tournaments, knowing it was a good deck. And that took the best part of a day. To, oh, my to, goodness. Oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> Which, I, I, you know, it could just be because I'm very slow at looking through my two decks. Or it could be because I have more than two decks, but I just tell people. <laughs> when anyone asks me how many decks I have, I always say I've got two, as in too many and uh, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> this uh, is actually a question from one of our patrons. Uh, oh, really? Every episode, we uh, we go out and we ask our patrons what questions do you have for our for our, our forthcoming guest. And this was a question from Muffins. She I said, it might be from "How Kate. many questions does? How many questions? How many decks does Stuart?" actually have so is this information you're interested to disclose or is this not even information you're aware of yourself (laughs) i'll be honest i I don't know the exact figure uh but as i say it's a lot i feel like it's probably too many the exact numbering of Stewart's collection is probably uh, like the true identity of, of Jean-Claude Van Keyforge on YouTube. It will never truly be known. Yes, I, I will keep people guessing for as long as I can. Kate actually it's, did think she discovered it when I had to verify one of my decks, but then she realized I only told her about that one deck, not the entire collection. So, <laughs> so the number is N minus one, where N is the optimal number of Keyforge decks. Yes, I, 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 yeah, I think that's, yeah. I can, I can always do with one more. So yes, I think yeah. N minus one is, is the perfect description for it. Yeah. Perfect. That's perfect. True. And, and with every good deck, there is an equally good story. So, Stuart, what is the story behind this deck? Was it literally looking at SAS and going, whoa, that's quite something? Or or is there is there something more intricate here? No, I, yeah, I have to be completely honest. Um, as I say, I, I have a lot of decks. Um, I don't have a lot of time. Like most people, I've, I've got a lot going on. So I can't sadly sort of spend the 50 games I'd love to play with each deck to find out which mm. deck is great. Um, and when a tournament comes up, I'm just like, I'll tell you what, I'll go into SAS and see what comes out as my best deck for that restriction. So 
I've played in tournaments where it's like you can't have a deck higher than 70 or it's a reversal where you have to play a deck for 70. And I will obviously have to try and evaluate the different decks I've got that fit within that bracket. But this one was simply, this is the highest number I've got. I'll give it a go. Um, and it just turns out it's a fantastic deck. I mean, I, had, I played someone who reckoned I could get 500 to $1,000 for it, which obviously... It's just some one, one person's opinion, but it was kind of like, wow, that's that's nice to know because I I pulled this deck, so this deck is one I got in a mm. a boost. You know, I I I do like a lot of players. I buy secondhand decks usually because they've got particular cards I like or combos I like. Um, but this one, I just happened to open the deck box and it popped out. And at the time, uh, I obviously pretty, I would have looked at it and not really gone, wow, this is incredible. Um, I just would have gone, no, it looks like a nice deck. I'll put it to one side and then, you know, six months later, try and track it down, which would be a complete nightmare. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I can't, I can't claim to have gone, yeah, I can tell that deck's brilliant just by looking at it. Um, and if, if I could change any one thing about this deck, I would replace the key charge with a Chota Hasray because the two Nature's Cools and a Chota Hasray would be so much better. But I'm not <laughs> complaining about it because it is still... A fantastic deck. I've uh, I've managed to take it six nil in a tournament. Wow! Which was sort of, it's the, six nil is the best I've done, I think. Sure, and that is yeah. uh, Archon Solo, I assume. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Solo, yeah. Yeah. And for for those who are listening and, and might not be in a position where they have pulled up the deck list and maybe raised an eyebrow at the the possible figure of five hundred to a thousand dollars, I mean, I wouldn't. I would. I would not you know, deny that right off the bat. Looking at this deck list, it has so many of the greatest hits and in many of them in duplicate from Call of the Archons here. Fertility Chant with Key Charge, Mimicry Nature's Call, uh, Dust Pixies, oh, like my goodness, and then with Logos and Shadows as well for Speed and and Steel. So it has it has the Speed and Consistency in, in Logos, it has the Steel in Shadows, and then it has the Burst in Untamed. So it has, it really has those three parts all firing on all cylinders there it looks it looks like an awful lot of fun to play yes it, well, that, that's the thing it, it's very i know you know I, obviously i say the five hundred one thousand dollar thing is just one person's opinion and oh, of also, course it's an incredibly <laughs> wide range i mean you're basically five hundred a thousand it's yes yeah, <laughs> but um yeah i think the thing about it is that every house does what that house does possibly to the best of its ability Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it pretty much um the logos has the archiving and draw you want the shadows has the steel and key denial you want and the the untamed has the speed you want um and i i often say about keyforge to me it's a rock scissors papers game and every deck that can absolutely smash another deck will have a deck that absolutely smashes it back mm-hmm. and the one thing the deck lacks in in a strong sense is artifact control. Unfortunately, if my opponent drops a very powerful artifact, there's pretty much not a great deal I can do. Um, if it's not an artifact I can use, cause I have the nexuses or mm-hmm. next I don't know what the plural of nexus is, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I played a game earlier today and someone had a redacted heart of the forest combo. Oh, and I, sure. And I was like, well, I know once they can get their second key, they can get their third key at the same turn with Redacted by going Logos. So my only possible out would have been to have been out of force, force them to forge a key using Fertility Chant when they didn't have the Redacted at 3 Amber. But 
you know, say, I, I, you know, if it had a grasping vines or something along those lines, that would have been, you know, nice. But, you know, as a deck, it's pretty fantastic as it is. And every deck, I think, has to have an Achilles heel. Otherwise, you'd have yeah. a, a deck that would be unbeatable and that just wouldn't be fun. So This is almost a, now that's what I call Kota of Kota. It's, it really does have the greatest hits within <laughs> yes. it. And it, it's, it's your kind of typical kota deck if you think of kota this this is it um almost to the point where you know with library access and everything as well um but but Stuart, which which cards really do put in the work here are they the big showstoppers like the library access the key charge and the too much to protect or are there any quiet cards that really do put in a good shift but maybe don't stand out for your opponent looking at the archon card uh yeah i, I think it's interesting i, I think uh, the problem is as you say it, it's got so many great cards from those houses um i would say things like big twig is probably a card that people don't expect to be any good but it can be mm. handy because it can mm-hmm shut down an opponent's creature for two turns effectively um but and also it's quite a big creature so it survives a lot of stuff so i mean i've had um i think it's forum of giants isn't it it's the mm-hmm. saurian artifact that it, the opponent or so the player with the biggest creature gets an amber at that that the controller's turn and big twig has given me amber just because it's so big um but yeah i think generally everything just looks good it's very difficult to pick a card that you go, that's no good. Because there really, I, there just really isn't everything about it. And that's what I think gives it its strength. I mean, Nocturnal Maneuver is probably an underrated card. Mm-hmm. Um, in t- but in terms of essentially, you know, knocking out three of your opponent's creatures for a turn, it's very powerful. Uh, I think Library of Babel, I think... Um, Generally speaking, being able to draw a card during your turn isn't always great because unless it's an in-house card, you're just going to end up drawing that card at the end of your turn anyway. So it doesn't give you a massive advantage. But in this deck, because of the library access, the library babble can be quite powerful. Um, And what works particularly well with the library access is the two wild wormholes. Mm -hmm. Because obviously you draw a card from playing the Wild Wormhole and then you draw another card from having played whatever the Wild Wormhole fired, which if it wasn't a Logos card, you wouldn't have been able to play that turn. And you get the Amber from it. And I've occasionally hit a Wild Wormhole into a Wild Wormhole, which has (laughs) been quite nice, you know. So, um, yeah, what I often do is I'll set up a a big library access turn if I can. And as I'm looking at it, the... The way the way SAS counts effective power right is I think uh, you know power plus armor perhaps and uh, there's a whopping total of forty five yes. as far as creature power here. So, but uh, on the other hand, you do have a whole lot of cards that do target either directly uh, or kind of indirectly, like Nocturnal Maneuver. Uh, you do have a lot of cards that can just target enemy creatures so do you find challenges for this deck against say like worlds collide uh large board decks with like saurians and uh saurians and star alliance or are your tools enough to to have those be not too much of a bump in the road for you well yeah i mean it's usually the case whereby the board isn't that important to me i'll often just ignore my opponent's board as much as possible um i do have things like finishing blow which is handy um, and 
anomaly exploiter, which means I don't have to do a lot of damage to be able to deal with a big creature. But a lot of the creature control is basically bounce. So you've got the two natures cools and you've got the lights out. Um, and so the idea, I struggle with cards like Delicious because bouncing it back to the hand just means I'll play it again next turn. Sure, um, sure. So unless I have the key charge in hand, it's a little bit tricky to deal with stuff like that. But on the flip side, um, if I'm playing against Saurians and they don't have a way of warding their creatures, their Perfectus Ludos and their Suctums won't actually protect the Amber they've either captured or exalted on their creature. So that can work in my favor. And I have, I mean, the Pawn Sacrifice, the Relentless Whispers, and the Asp are, you know, good for dealing with smaller creatures. So I think, again, the Asp, like the Finishing Blow and the Anomaly Exploiter, they it doesn't matter how big the creature is, as long as it hasn't got a lot of armor, I can usually use them to take out the creatures. And the Miasma works really well with the Too Much to Protect, because I can let my oh, opponent build up even more amber, drop a Too Much to Protect, and then either use Relentless Whispers or Dodger if it's on the board, or Urchin to take them off key. So it has a it has a lot of amber control in the right places. And the mimicry is coming very useful. Like I mean they've even managed to mimicry my opponent's key charge when I've already used mine. <laughs> so that's you such know, a fun card. That's awesome. What's uh what's one of the most silly or flashy things you've mimicried from an opponent's discard pile, maybe in set or even out of set? Uh I I'm trying to think now, because there have been a, a few occasions. I think perhaps hysteria. Ooh. was one of the best ones, especially when, <laughs> with the dust pixels on the board. So I had a situation, and in fact, I actually won the game on that turn because they played charrette. So they had they took me off a key with charrette. Um, so I then played mimicry into their hysteria and then got my amber back and then replayed my dust pixels and then key charged. So that was possibly the, the, the funnest <laughs> one I've had. And it, it's one of those things that against mimicry, your problem is you can't, play the card and you can't discard the card if you don't want your opponent to mimicry it because mm-hmm. even if you don't play it they can still mimicry it if they if they put it in the discard so that's right yeah mimicry can give people some real difficult decisions sometimes because you like you're sitting there going well i don't want to chain myself with this card but if i play it or discard it i could have it used against me so yeah, it's it's either a permanent chain or or you give your opponent access to it. My personal philosophy is um unless I think it would end the game, I just I just play it and uh, I just try to strategize and assume that they will that they uh, will have the mimicry at some point soon. And I, I can tell that Infernuses uh, will not be want for food against your deck, as there are, uh, as Decks of Keyforge states here, 24 printed amber, and uh, eight of those are on Fertility Chant and Dust Pixie. So yes. uh, lot, lots of, uh, some definitely high-density cards there. Yeah, so in, when I see Infernus, I try and archive things like the Chant and the Pixies uh, in order to sort of pull them off in one go with the Key Charge, which is why I say... Um, Chota Hasri would be so fantastic because I could bounce Chota mm. Hasri with the Nature's Cools and Dust Pixies and Forge oh, in the same turn. Goodness. Um, whereas obviously the key charges are one shot. But on the flip side, I don't have to worry too much about Life Ward. So I can use it, you know, but I do have to worry about Shatterstorm or Stealth Mode. So, you know, right. it swings around roundabouts. But. And we've touched on it a bit with Infernus, but. What other deck archetypes does this deck really struggle against a little bit more? 
anything that has an ability to rank up the key cost to a huge amount. So I've had um, two memorable games. Um, one was against... Um, is it uh, Dave Cardew? Is that even actually uh, Dave Cordero. Thank you, Dave Cordero. Um, and his famous five Edi deck. Um, and we played... So I played in the glorious U quali- uh, qualifier and managed to finish top eight going 6-2 with this deck. But unfortunately, when I um, did the draft, I didn't really get how to draft particularly well, sadly. And I ended up having to play a, a dis untamed Brobnar deck, um, which kind of <laughs> limited my options quite severely. Uh, and when I played Dave, he was making the key costs like 43. And I think even if I'd have played this deck against it, it would have struggled um, because it can generate a lot of amber, but 43 amber a key is still a bit of a struggle even for this. And the problem would have been um, if I'd have used the nature's calls, all I would have done was bounce his eddies back so he could archive more mm. cards and mm. put the key cost up. So, I mean, I guess True. it's not a very good example because I didn't actually play this deck against that deck, but I know, <laughs> I know had I played it, it's the kind of deck it would have struggled against. Yeah, 43 amber. Fair price. Yeah, Fair price. Bit, Don't know what you're complaining about. A little about. bit pricey, even for this deck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I have generated keys when I've got and still had like 18 amber left over. And uh, have there been any uh, uh, artifact setups? Uh, you, you mentioned there were that artifacts can give uh, trouble to it. Have there been any specific combinations of artifacts that were uh, a tough time for this deck, unable to interact with them? Uh, well, well, Grump Buggy is a is a classic mm. one. So I had um, when I was in the Premier League Keyforge qualifiers. Again, I, I managed to get into the top eight of that. And my first opponent was a friend of mine called Matt, who plays a deck that a lot of people have heard of uh, called Sasha. And it's a Jenka deck with double Drummernaut, Ganga Chieftain, uh, horribleness. And I kept getting close to my final key, and he kept dropping creatures that put the cost up just one beyond what I had. Um, and I was just like, I can do this, I can do this. And no, I can't. And yeah, unfortunately, I lost. And it was it was Grump Buggy that basically swung the game. If I could have dealt with Grump Buggy somehow, I would have been at a forge easily. But with Grump Buggy on the table, I think at the end of the game, my keys were costing... 18 amber and I had like 15 at that point because he just dropped wow. three more huge Brobnar creatures and it's just like uh, wow that was yeah. like we were talking about last time most decks nearly all decks will have there is a silver bullet or a card you know maybe perhaps just a rare that in the right deck will will dismantle an otherwise very strong deck like against you know multiple grump buggies a, a single tachyon pulse can just completely change the pace of the game yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, I'd say, I think it's an important aspect to Keyforge that there is always a a rock to your scissors, a paper to your to a rock, and a scissors to your paper. Um, so I think you know it's important that there is no one deck that always wins in every matchup, and this is a, a speed deck. So if my opponent can slow me down sufficiently, then that can be enough to to swing the game in their favour. It's kind of, I either win early or probably I'm going to struggle to win. 
Sure, sure. And that does feel like a classic, uh, strong Call of the Archons deck, right? You've got your steel, you've got your burst, you've got your speed, um, but there are perhaps uh, an Achilles heels or two uh, yeah. hanging hanging around in there. Yeah, yeah I, I, there. I think that's necessary because otherwise it would just be unfair. you just have a deck that would storm through everyone else's decks and always win. And that's, you know, that I don't think Keyforge is designed to be like that. I think the algorithm is probably a lot more smarter than we we realize and puts in a little chink in the armor of every deck it builds and sometimes mm. it's more chinks than armor uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, yeah. In, in this case there aren't many chinks but they're there it's you know uh, and i and i think the uh, the design team do a good job of doing that as well by actually considering this was the first set it was obnoxiously balanced yes. <laughs> i mean for a game that no one's ever made something quite like it and they did a really good job you know we we haven't had to ban that many cards or change the way that many cards play so um yeah certainly certainly that 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 stuff is all built in very well yeah i mean obviously one of the cards in there is one of the few cards that they had to change which is library access um but yeah i think in the main they've been very very clever in their design um and i personally feel like infernus was a card that was printed to counter kota rush yes because it it does it so well because it doesn't rely on stealing so if you have anything that protects your amber from being stolen infernus doesn't care if you have really important cards it gets rid of them so they're not coming back because this is a deck that can cycle through quite quickly if it's a really good library access turn it's not impossible to you know start the, the deck again um and i think you know it's kind of what they did with magic whereas in magic they printed cards to deal with metas and they you know there was um the hammer about garden or something that was um an anti-necropotence card and i think what they've done in keyforge is they print cards that sort of address any kind of issue they feel like you know there's something out there that's a bit too big for its boots they'll print a card that will help and that you know is out there and is a threat mm-hmm. and in furnace uh well it's very strong and as danny alluded to when he was on uh <laughs> i think the designers do have an eye on it in case it uh you know kind of ever breaks a uh, future meta but uh, in furnace of course just taking away amber that a person's played if you're using the opponent's discard right if like yes. if my infernus is, is hitting well, it takes the... it takes it regardless of which pile you take from doesn't it yes which which is the the biggest swing is of course when you're able to purge from your own because you've yeah. gained that amber and then you're you're having your opponent lose amber that they never even gained which is yes. uh, my my personal favorite brutal power move um i believe the aforementioned muffins and i both own decks with both ritual of tognath which has three pips and infernus uh, just in different quantities so it's uh it's uh, it can be nasty yeah that's Truly that's nasty. very harsh i mean that, the thing we're playing the fertility chance against an infernus deck is that basically Basically, I'm giving my opponent to Amber and I'm not getting any Amber back because they're withdrawing the four Amber I've gained from playing it. Oh, of course. Um, and the problem is, sort of, as I referenced with the Mimicry issue, is that I can't just dump it because if I dump it, I'm losing four Amber I never gained. Um, which, you know, it, there are occasions where I'm better off not giving them two and just taking the four hit. 
but generally speaking, you know, I'm better off archiving it because if I put it in the discard, if I don't gain the, the four, I'm losing four I never got. And if I do gain the four, I'm giving them two and, and still might lose the four. So <laughs> Fertility Chant <laughs> and Infernus are not good friends. No. No, indeed. No, indeed. A bit of a bit of a uh, white and red rose situation there. Yes, and also it's it's the, the fact that I won't then be able to cycle the, fern- the uh, fertility chart back. So it's now gone for good, mm. you know, with the purge. So it's it's a massive, a massive whammy with Infernus. And as I say, most of the, I mean, the problem with Infernus is it often comes with ways to recur it. So. You don't want to yeah. kill it, and you certainly don't want to pounce it. <laughs> so it's just a card you're like, oh, I just don't like the look of that card. Right. <laughs> and then they've got something to reap with. And, yes. and of course, yeah, they've got ways of killing it in, in this being being all about that in Mass Mutation. Oh, anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, the one thing the deck has going for it against Infernus from that point of view is it's hard for them to run an Infernus into the deck because yeah. most of the creatures are three or less. So apart <laughs> from the Asp and the Dodger, they can't generally kill their Infernus with my... Oh, sorry, and the Big Twig. They can't generally kill their creature with my creatures. Um, yeah. But usually they'll have something like the Forge or some other way of, you know, uh, Implosion or some other way of getting it back into their discard. Because I've, I've got a, another friend, um, George, who plays an Infernus deck. It's got one Infernus, but you think it's got 12, the way he recurs it with Grim Reminder and things. Um, <laughs> so you know, I, I, I love and hate Infernus. I love it when it's on my side of the board. I hate it when it's on my opponent's side. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, as with all good cards, as with all good cards. So Stuart, we've got to ask you the the key question for any deck: If you, Stuart Green, could have one more card in this deck from the whole entirety of Keyforge history. What card would that be? Well, I, I, and I, why? I suspect I've already answered that, and I'll, I'll repeat the answer, which is, is Trota Hazro. If, yeah. if I could yeah. have Trota Hazro in this deck, it would just take it to another level um, because of the nature's calls. I would, I would, I'm fairly certain I could possibly win in one turn. Uh, perhaps not. I think if I had Full Moon and Chota with nature's calls and the dust pixels, that would be a, a one-turn kill. But yeah, I'd, I'm not greedy. I'd, uh, I'd take the Chota Hasro. Yeah. I mean, a punctured equilibrium would help. <laughs> yes, yeah. No, that would be nice, but yeah. Yeah, yeah the, I'd just I'd say the Chota, just the fact that because of nature's calls, um, I'd be able to pull it off more than once in one turn. And there have been times when I've got the amber for two keys, but I haven't got the time for two keys because my opponent's going to forge their third key before I get a chance to forge mm-hmm. my third key. Mm-hmm. So. so Stuart, do you have plans for uh, taking this deck further competitively? Do you think you would take it to a vault tour or, or something like that? Uh, I, I pretty much it's, you know, now that I physically located the deck for that tournament, I had to prove I owned it. Um, I'm, I'm going to take this as probably my default Archon Obviously, I won't be able to play it in Vault Warriors because it's Kota. Um, but of course, we don't know when Vault Warriors are going to happen, so we've no idea what sets are going to be legal by that point. Uh, but yes, I, I would look forward to playing this at a Vault Tour Archon Solo quite happily. So, Stuart, where can we find you? Probably the easiest place is on Facebook. Just look me up. Uh, my avatar is usually Batman. 
So if you find Stuart from Croydon with a Batman avatar, you've probably found me and just uh, send me a message. Or you can also use the Ludicrous Discord. Um, but I usually only check that on a Tuesday. So <laughs> if you need to get in touch with me a bit more urgently, Facebook's your, your best option. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. It's been it's been great to talk to you, to reminisce a bit about past events to and to hope for the future that we're going to get back there in a relatively relatively swift manner but um but dear listeners thank you also for joining us um if you're enjoying call of discovery and you are willing and able to support us in a monetary fashion our patreon is always linked below where you can put your weird and wonderful decks into the spotlight and of course have a say in our future through our patreon only discord let us also know what you'd like to see more of or less of in future shows. We do listen. Please also subscribe and leave us a review on your regular podcast app. If you leave us a review, we will read it out. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of the socials, or you can email us at podcast at coolofdiscovery.com. What was that, Zach? Podcast at coolofdiscovery.com. Dot com. That sounds amazing. It's almost like we bought our own domain and are talking about it way too much. But most importantly, if you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, then please, it's 2020. Give them something to discover. Have you answered the call of discovery? 